Hello everyone and welcome back to the Geek Wave. This is the low budget show. It's the show so low. It has no budget. It has less of a budget than what Netflix is giving to things, which we'll get to in a minute here. I don't know why. Uh, I, I, I love talking Netflix news. Makes me happy. Just seeing this company not sure of itself. <laughs> but whatever. Not really what we're here to talk about. So it doesn't really matter. Now does it? I want to talk about comic books today. I, I was just in, was in a mood, you know? Time to talk about some comic books. And I want to talk about the positivity of comic books because... More often than not, in pop culture, we look at the negative things, the, the stuff that's bad and hurts us and makes us feel like shit, and it's like, hey, you're not a true fan. I wanted to talk about some books that are a love letter to comic books. This is the episode of Comic Book Love Letters, homages to comic books, comic books for comic book fans, written by people who love comic books. I just wanted to do that. So that's what we're doing today. That's today's topic. But we do have a couple pieces of news. Not a whole lot, actually. And a couple things I do want to talk about. First off, because we are talking about comic books, I thought this was an important thing to put in today. It's kind of actually, it's a really big deal, actually. I don't think people really understand how big of a shakeup this is. Joe Quesada, who has been the editor-in-chief at Marvel for two decades now, since 2000, he has been one of the top dogs at Marvel, uh, he's decided to step away and proceed down a new career path. And I'm like, wow, that's a... That's a big step away for you because Joe has been an advocate for Marvel for years and seeing him move away from this, it's kind of shocking. It's one of those things you'd be like, he's going to ride or die, you know, he's with Marvel to the end. So there must be something very important that had him step away. He did put out a statement. It looks like he's going to be working on some more independent stuff. It looks like he might be financing and working on a short film. So I'm like, sure, dude, you really had, you're like, fingers into the pot when it comes to filmmaking for Marvel and getting like screenwriters to come to the comic book side of things. So yeah, I can completely understand how you would like want to move to film. What I really hope isn't the case is that he joins Dan DiDio and Frank Miller for their weird NFT money comic series. Ooh, I hope he doesn't do that. I, he seems like he's smart enough not to go down that rabbit hole. But then again, maybe he isn't. <laughs> I hope he doesn't. I don't think he will. I think this is more like I could potentially just come back to my roots as a creative type in comic books, tell the stories I've wanted to tell for a long time that I've been cooking around, and now I have the outlet to do that. I think that's cool. We, we could probably literally spend an entire episode talking about what Casada did to Marvel. Because he brought in a lot of like the modern ideas that you love. He was an advocate for the film side of things. He was a really important guy in just in terms of like all of comic book dumb. And somebody who sometimes gets overlooked in the grand narrative of this company. He is important to it. It's an important piece in this puzzle. And he's going to be missed. Whether you love him or not. And I, I could definitely understand maybe you're a little salty towards him. He made Marvel special. Chances are if you're a young person, you started reading certain Marvel books that he helped develop. So you, he, he did a lot for this company. I, I, I respect him. I admire him. I cannot wait to see what he does next. It's going to be exciting watching his career trajectory because you kind of peaked. You're kind of like literally at the top of the food chain. Now it sounds like you're moving to a different part of the food chain altogether, which I'm kind of excited by. That could be pretty interesting to see. We'll wait and see what happens. So I did kind of tease I had some Netflix news to talk about. 
I guess we can get into it. There was a Netflix is a fucking mess, and I, I've talked about this so many times in so many other places. I'm going to talk about it again here. A new statement was released that Netflix is no longer going to be moving in the direction of working with auteur filmmakers because it's not financially there. And <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this on both sides of the board. First off, this is embarrassing for Netflix. I think it's embarrassing for everybody involved where if you are not a tour filmmaker, like you are known for making a certain thing, like I'm just going to use Scorsese for the example because the Irishman's like the film that people were talking about with this. That is your bread and butter making those films and a platform that's supposed to be the top of the streaming game can't support you. That sucks for Netflix and it sucks for Martin Scorsese because like who's winning then? Nobody. We're, we're all losing money. That's embarrassing. That's shameful. It's hard to hear. But I, I kind of get it because I think, if anything, Top Gun Maverick has proven, I think more than any other film, you don't need a streaming release now. You can make movies and auteur films for cinemas and the audience will be there. That, like, I, and again, we can get into, like, the whole topic of, like, these auteur directors shitting Marvel movies and DC movies. just like, hey, these suck. They're not real movies. They're not real. They're just amusement rides and shit. That's a whole thing. And I don't want to get into that, but what I think they are really saying is that the audience doesn't care to come see my movie now. I'm like, they, no, they do. You just aren't getting your own financing to do that because it's hard to compete with the big dogs. But Top Gun Maverick is going to bring you back to the theater. Don't you just, just wait. It's going to be, it's going to be it. Top Gun Maverick is going to bring everything back to the theaters. It will. That movie's doing way too good <laughs> for some reason. But this news is sad to hear from Netflix because it's this thing again where it's like you had these brilliant directors and these creators coming to your platform who are known and who are voices and, and bring in their own audience. And now you're telling us the audience they're bringing in isn't enough. And now you, instead of like making auteur films, art house pieces, these beautiful things, suddenly you're just going to be making content for the masses. And and look, there is no reason for why the Irishman or the new one Noah Bromham's doing over there and Mank were like these hundreds of million of dollar productions. Like, why did that need to be so much money when we know you're not going to get that return? You're bringing in these auteurs and you're giving them everything they want. Suddenly, they're not forced creatively to do anything hard. It's just like, give them what they want. Let them do their thing. Don't have any pushback. That's not a good business model. You should say, best we can give you is this. Let them work around that. You know, I know they're all like 70 to 80, but come on, have a little guts in your glory, baby. Like, it's just insane to me how it's happening. So, yeah, of course, you're not going to get your money back on that. But if you give it to Stranger Things season four suddenly it's all okay because people don't really look at that as onto a filmmaking. They just want the content. And, and this is the other thing too. Look, I love content that's for everybody. I do. It's fine. If you want to go see Free Guy or Red Notice or Stranger Things, do it. I don't give a flying fuck what you want to watch. It doesn't matter. But the problem that comes from that 
is that it's going to take slots away from auteur films, art house pieces that are more independent. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And the fact that Netflix can't support both of those on their platform is ridiculous. So they're they're not going to strive to reach these brilliant directors or writers anymore to make their magnum opus. They're just going to rely on IPs they can buy now, like the Sandman, like Wednesday Adams. Because because again, I, I don't want to I don't want to show Netflix when they think they are launching a universe. They cancel it in two weeks because suddenly the money they put into that isn't being made within the first week. It is painful to see that. And again, I did not like The Irishman. I, I actually really despise that movie. But the fact that they're not going to try to make any more of those hurts more than as bad as that film was. It, it just hurts more. Because again, I think Top Gun Maverick is going to bring people back to theaters but is it going to get everybody to come back? Are studios going to be able to put up the money for these things anymore? It, it's frustrating. It's concerning. And it's just sad for everybody involved. And again, I, I, I feel like I should do a huge video talking about the Netflix stuff. I'm not qualified enough to break down their business model. But all I'm going to say is this is telling. This is telling to me and I think to people who are like prepared to study this idea that Netflix is sinking. Not fast, but slowly they're starting to realize we are not the powerhouse we thought we were. We're going to lose more than we're going to gain. I am so worried Sandman's going to be canceled. And I guess we could talk about that too. I didn't really want to like get into Sandman too much. We could talk about that for a minute. Sandman's coming August 5th. They released a trailer. I, I loved the trailer. And... I am so, more than anything that Netflix has made, I think, ever, okay, ever, out of anything Netflix has made, I don't think I have been so worried for a project in my life. Because here's the thing, here is the sad truth about this. If this doesn't work, and Netflix cancels Sandman so early, no one's gonna pick it up. HBO Max, maybe. Maybe? I'm just so worried. Just, oh, Neil, I wish you held out. I wish you held out for a couple more years where you could get a long-lasting TV show coming to HBO Max. I really wish you just... Oh, but no, of course, of course, when you start a production on this, Netflix was the right thing to do. I'm worried. It looks great, though. Morpheus looks fantastic. The Corinthian, I think, was in the final shot. Looks amazing. I'm on board for this. I might do individual episodes talking about Sandman. I might do a big video talking to you. I'll put it out. I'm going to do a, I'll do a poll later. But if you guys get to this part of the video or you're listening to this, do you want to see me talk about each episode of Sandman? I kind of want to, but I'm very worried. I'm very worried. It's not going to matter. But whatever. It's Morbin time. We're moving on to the Morbin time because guess what? We were got more Morbin time and Morbius trending on Twitter for three days, five days in a row. Jared Leto killed the meme by showing the Morbin time screenplay. Like, oh, look, I can't stand Jared Leto. What a despicable little human! I just want to crush between my fingers. He's he's so unfunny, so annoying. I just I could kill him just with the just with a slow stick.
I don't know what a slow stick is, but I hate Jared Leto so much. Obviously, I'm not going to kill him, but you know what I mean. So the Morbin Time meme made Sony go, no, we can bring it back to theaters. Obviously, people want to talk about it. Sony, you stupid, stupid bitch. Nobody went to see it. $85,000 Friday night for a weekend release. Nobody wants to see Morbius again. Nobody wanted to see it the first time. Here's the thing about that. This is just something I think people and studios need to understand about filmmaking. Studio, not, not an individual creator, but studios, executives at a high-ranking level. What you see online does not actually mean anything to the real world. There is a small minority of people who are vocal on Twitter. The release the Snyder Cut people are not as vocal as the people in the real world who don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. When you hear Morbin, Morbin Time is trending for five days, that is maybe a thousand people. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You blew your load again. You made this movie bomb twice. How is that possible? How is that possible? I cannot wait to see your other movies. Look, I, 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 this is going to be its own video. I know it is, but fucking Craven has a fucking great cast. So sexy, so cool. Madam Web has such a good cast. Oh my God, I love all those women. I just want to hold them in, in a study, you know, like Oscar Isaac would say. I love them amazing i cannot wait for both of those films cannot wait like that's just amazing i love it i love it it's just ridiculous but morbius was such a stupid idea i'm glad it failed i'm glad it failed hard so we're going to take a quick break when we come back let's talk some comic books and let's talk about characters well i guess characters people who love comics and love letters to comics <laughs> Now look, clearly I didn't find every homage or love letter to comic books that exist in the comic book world. Of course I didn't. I'm one man. I'm doing this with limited time and limited sleep. So yeah, yeah, there's going to be things I miss. But I made uh, a list, things I wanted to talk about. Things I wanted to talk about regardless of if I did this video or not. And now that I have them in a the list here and I could be like, yes, let's talk about these things. These things that are clearly inspired by love and homages to comic books before it. Sometimes a little more extreme. Sometimes it's a clear homage to what they're doing. But the important thing about every single thing on this list, for better or ill, everything on this list is about the love of comic books. And I, I think I'll do a vid another video talking about, like, you know, real life events about comic books or things about comic books that are important, like the history of comic books, important key moments in comic book history that lead us to certain things, the behind the scenes of comic books, the important figures in comic books, and the history of creators and stuff. And I'll probably do that at some point because there are creators that I love and I would love to get more involved in. But until then, I just wanted to start off just giving you a little taste of what, what comic books could be about. So if you're watching this video and, and you're like, I love comic books, I want to read something that's not cynical, that's about the respect and admiration for the industry and the characters and the world about it, like about a vintage age of comic books, things that are important and a part of comic book history. I want to know more about those things. What are some comic books I could read? That would be good if I, I, I love comic books. And I want to read books about the love of comic books and about a bygone era and that kind of stuff. Well, I got some stuff for you. 
I got some stuff in here that I think is very important. All of these books too, because we're talking about these books, I'm not going to do a recommendation segment. My recommendation for you is pick something off this list, go read it. They're all pretty interesting. There's only like a couple things on here I wouldn't read in any variety. Well, actually, there's one that I don't particularly love, but it's still an important homage to comics. Let's start with this one. It's the thumbnail. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's the thumbnail. This is, and I've said this in other places, I don't know how often I've said it here, this is probably in my top three favorite comic books of all time. That, of course, is Astro City. Now, we could do an extensive deep dive into characters based on other characters that exist in media, because that is its own thing. Like, comic books parody and homage comic books so much that it just happens. It's part of life. We can move past it. But in my opinion, in my humble opinion, there is no better homage, no better love letter, no better care and acceptance of the good and the bad and the ugly and the clean of comic books than Astro City. So if you want a little a little bit of a premise of Astro City, imagine there's this important place in the world where all the heroes go and every single hero is from. It's essentially the Marvel Universe is New York. It's essentially Metropolis for the DC Universe. Every hero you know is a part of Astro City. So Meriden is there. He works with the Honor Guard. We see that there's Choir Boy who works with his dark hero. It's, it's like this... No, it's the choir and altar boy. My bad. It's like you get the parodies so far, but it's like they're not parodies. They're homages. There isn't a character presented in Astro City where it's like, let's like do a deconstruction of this character's idea where other books, I, I think the antithesis to this, like the opposite end of Astro City is the boys. And I don't want to talk about the boys, but the boys is like, let's do a deconstruction. If Batman was real, he'd be a piece of shit. This is more like if Batman was real and he was alive, he would be presented in a certain ethereal version of himself, which would have religious connotations. So he'd be a part of that side of things. If Superman was real, he'd be the most respected man in the world. He'd still want to hide his identity and be a part of this stuff. I love this idea because there is nothing about Astro City that is cynical or hateful or spiteful or vindictive. It's just these are cool. We can tell a little story about like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko inspirations from the 60s and 70s. We can tell a story about the dark side of heroes in these comic books. Here's a story about the Fantastic Four. Here's a story about Daredevil. Here's a story about all these different characters. And you love it. You admire it. You're just like, this is really fun. It's not hateful. It's not angry. And I, I just respect it so much for Kurt Busick. And I know this is his baby, pretty much. He's been working on it consistently since the 90s. I respect Kurt Busick so much. And he appears on other times on our list. And we'll get into that in a bit here. You'll find on my list, and this is just who I am as a person. There's two names that are going to come up quite a bit for people on this list. Kurt Busick's the first one. Because he clearly is just, I like comic books of a certain time. I don't need to talk about the, the bad side of things. I get what it is. You don't want to see all these characters killing each other, doing these dangerous bullshit, whatever. It's like you also want to have a good story. They recently put out an Astro City back back issue. Well, not a back issue. I guess it is a back issue now. That was then. It's to celebrate. 
I guess like the re the return of Astro City, just talking about like these teen heroes, clearly an inspiration for the teen brigade from Marvel or the teen Titans from DC. And it's just like, what if these were young people growing up in a time before the time we have now? It's kind of brilliant, kind of subtle. And I like that there is just so much good stuff to play with in a story like this and in a world like this. And it, it's supposed to be crazy. And if you can hear sirens behind me, I apologize. There's some sirens going off behind me. It's just crazy. It's just beautiful and elegant. It, it takes itself so seriously and it doesn't try to be silly or insane or dumb. It's like, nah, this is Astro City. Take it for the good or the bad. You're seeing the good stuff. You're seeing the bad stuff. It's fun. It's campy, but it's not like the wrong kind of campy where you're like, oh, I don't like this. It's just campy because it's like this is the Silver Age. These are these characters we're presenting. This is the world we're a part of. You'd want to go here. You'd feel safe here. Everybody looks up in the sky with calm attitudes and safety, and it's just very fun. Even the villains are kind of goofy. Everything about Astro City, it just works for what it's trying to say. And it's one of my, it's probably my favorite love letter to comic books because it's just, here is everything comic books are. They're silly, they're campy, they're superheroes, they're fun. It's just all of that and then some. And I respect the hell out of that. And that takes us to another one of my favorite comic books of all time, Kingdom Come. I said Kurt Busiek is a name you're going to see popping up here a lot. Another name you're going to see up here a lot is Mark Wade, Because Mark Wade, I love Mark Wade. He is just putting it out there on the table and seeing if people stick to it. Kingdom Come is a brilliant story. And I could talk endlessly about the narrative metaphors and everything about the story for Superman and the coming out of your cave to kind of like reignite to society and show you the benefits of this time period and what these heroes mean. It could be an entire video. It might be an entire video. I'd love to do a deep dive on Kingdom Come with somebody who hasn't read the book before. Which I might do. Maybe I'll get Zach to do that. But Kingdom Come is this story. It's a brilliant story about, no, don't worship these dark ideas. Don't, don't, don't look at the world as the cynical viewpoint where it's like, if you had power, you'd get corrupted instantly. You'd become this villain, this monster, this dangerous person. For the sake of heroism, you do dark things. That is not what Kingdom Come's trying to say. It's like, don't do that. Don't be a Magog. Look at what this world you created. We have to come back the older generation, the Silver Age generation, the classic generation is returning to show you, knock it off. Our ideas matter. They might be from a bygone era, but the bygone era is the way things should be. And that's what you see throughout all of Busick and Wade's writing is this reverence for the things that came before it, just in terms of how silly it could be, but having respect for what that silliness is. And Kingdom Come is a brilliant example of that. Or when Superman literally comes down from the sky, he's looking at this world like, I'm back. I'm here to show you what to do. He's not telling you how to fix it. He's like, this is what we need to do to get things back to a spot where we feel safe. There is so much about that I, I just think is powerful and insanely brilliant and things I admire. Kingdom Come is a beautifully written book with great art by Alex Ross. And Alex Ross, again, somebody who is intrinsically connected to Astro City. You see these, the, the, like he gets it. Like these guys just get it. Like this generation of the 90s is just like, nah, man, we get it. But when we get further down the list, we'll talk about people who also worked in the 90s that went in the opposite way of that. But we'll get to that in a minute here. But again, Kingdom Come is just so much of a love letter to everything DC made before. And it's just like, no, don't think 
the, the Superman ideas are stupid and dumb. They're not stupid and dumb. They're important. They matter. Treat them with respect. Put some weight on that name, on that idea. You need these things to work or else everything else collapses. You have to have these work. It's brilliant. It's super subtle. And sticking to the world of DC for a minute, we should talk about the crises. And look, this I was hesitant to put this one on the list. I'm talking about every single crisis DC has ever had because what is a crisis if not comic books persevering? You know, you cannot talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, whatever happened in the Dark Knight Metal, Death Metal books. That's essentially a crisis. A crisis, no matter its name or identity, except for identity crisis, but we we're not going to talk about that. No matter what a crisis is in DC, it is all about comic books. Even if it's just like, we've got too far ahead of ourselves, we need to scale back. How is that not a love letter to comic books where it's like we're actually going to take the time and literally the marketing and the push and the narrative push with like actual editors and writers and letterers and artists to come in and actually fix continuity for a wide scope? How is that not a love letter? How is that not a love letter to comic books? It's brilliant. Like the first crisis on Infinite Earths, things got out of hand. What if we made an actual story where we just slow it down, get things back to a reasonable push? How is that not a love letter? It's just brilliant and cool. And then you get things like, oh, what Infinite Crisis. And it's kind of just like the breaking of Crisis on Infinite Earths. You're like, it's still like revering that. It's still talking about comic books in that way. It's on that meta level where everything's coming together. And of course, Final Crisis being this insanely scary book that's just so over the top and literally just a metaphor for grant morrison dealing with their shit in a company and how they feel about everything it's crazy but like that's still comic books comic books have this meta narrative inside of it talking about the time periods it's a part of and i think the crises represent crises or crises it doesn't matter they represent those in a perfect way I think they're very important. If I had to pick the most important crisis just in terms of like a love letter to comic books, I think it's going to be Crisis on Infinite Earths because you you got people involved in that story that are like, we love the DC universe so much, we're going to reset it to a place where we can talk about it in a new way we haven't before. That's kind of something to respect where it's like, not it's not destroying anything that came before it. It is simply just going, we're going to make this all make sense. That's impressive. And comic books have been consistently doing that since their conception. It's weird, but it makes sense in a weird way. I respect comic books for trying that. It's kind of a silly idea that I enjoy to see and play with. Very fun. And then, of course, death metal is just what if everything and everything is happening. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time talking about DC right now. What if we jump over to the world of Marvel for a minute? And Marvel, they have their books. Again, Kurt Busiek's Marvels is all about Marvels, but it's more just about like when the Golden Age died. I, I like Marvels. It's not my favorite. I think Kingdom Come does it better. I think Astro City does it better. But I just like the idea that like when Gwen Stacy died, suddenly the Marvel Universe felt a tonal shift and became something else. I think that's kind of an interesting thing to play with. Very fun. And it kind of made Marvel more real. But what I really want to focus on right now, when it comes to like Marvel's big ideas and their love letters, is Secret Wars. And not the one from the 80s, because that's not a love letter. That's a corporate saying we have to make a thing for money. 
But Secret Wars from 2015 is the end of the Marvel Universe. Now, there's this book that I recently listened to the audio format of called All of the Marvels, which is just the story about the entire identity of the Marvel comics. If you look at it, everything to happen is one big story. And the end of that story is Secret Wars, because it takes the two most prominent characters in Marvel Comics, the two most important men whose feud has battled throughout time and space, Victor Von Doom and Reed Richards, and it's like, what if they had this big battle where the ideas of persevering and the ideas of being a better person are put to the test, and how can you survive in that way? Look, I think there the, the Secret Wars kind of gets a bad rap of being like, it's just a cosmic multiverse where people are fighting each other and it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I'm like, that's not Secret Wars at all. It's literally a story about the biggest egos in the Marvel Universe trying to show their way of protecting. It's, it's pretty much just like who has the biggest savior complex of all the egos in the Marvel Universe. I think that's cool. And the way the story just like plays with the lore and the identity of Marvel throughout its entirety, I think is very impressive. There's something to be said about that that makes it very compelling, very original, and goes in directions I don't think many people are expecting. I like this as a capper to the Marvel story, because that's what it is. It's just like, here it is. Here's the ending of the Marvel legacy. All these characters that come together, all this legacy and this idea being presented, it's kind of beautiful in a really tragic way. I love it. Very cool. And now we kind of get one that's a, it's more literal in its love letter to comic books because it's a story, it's a comic book about people who read comic books in a comic book. Crossover. I have been doing weekly reviews of Crossover since, uh, since issue one. It's 13 issues in now. This book has surprised me at every turn. I think just writing a comic book about a, the, our real world and characters in it who love comic books so much that when the characters come to the real world... It like affects them emotionally and comic books are kind of outlawed. There's a brilliance to it. I, I admire that so much and I, I respect the hell out of the narrative for going that direction. And that's the thing about Donny Cates in this book. And you, you feel this in a lot of his other writing, but I think in particular in Crossover, the man loves the 90s. The man loves that certain era, the Busick and Wade era, but he homages different creators than them. Because look, Crossover is a huge, huge proponent of comic book love. There's a huge splash page of all your favorite characters who aren't Marvel or DC, and it's beautiful. It's just beautiful, because that's what this should be. When you're doing a love letter to comic books, it doesn't specifically need to be a Marvel or a DC comic. There are whole legacies of other characters you can play with. Like, this book has reverence for Madman and Spawn and just, uh, I mean, other Donny Cates work, but Powers is in here, Walking Dead is in here, The Wicked and Divine is in here, Savage Dragon. It just loves these other characters so much that aren't connected to the big two. And that's this kind of amazing thing that it's doing. It's just taking these concepts and like, what if we just have fun with it? What if we just homage the 90s and what made me love comics in the first place? You, you gotta respect that. It's cool. And it's just an incredibly well-written book. It has its up and downs, of course, but I think what Crossover did better than almost any other book in this nature is just show you how people feel about comics. It, it, there's no cynicism to the characters in the book. They're just like, yeah, we understand this. It is a tight-knit group. We are a family. We're all here for each other. For better or worse, that's what comic books are. It's a celebration of these ideas we all have. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's something to be admired and respected. I really dug that. 
and kind of sticking on the idea of crossover. This one's more like a concept of everything. It's the formation of Image Comics because, look, when Image was formed, it's a bunch of guys that I don't really like making books I don't like reading. But you can't you can't say they didn't change the industry. You can't like like it's a like literally the all of their original creations are comic book level others because it's like we're creating the thing that you're going to love. That's kind of impressive. And again, I don't personally love them, but you feel the entire generation that did love the works of these early guys from Image and just what they've created and what they've crafted. There's something to be said about that. I think it's pretty interesting. I think it's very cool. So I had to talk about that. And now I kind of said earlier, there's one on the list that I don't really like and I, I, I've never really enjoyed. That is this one that is Invincible. I am not an Invincible fan. I've talked about this when I did a review for the show. I have talked openly about this idea. I think Invincible kind of toys the line between cynicism and respect and admiration, but it does it in a good way. Like the thing about invincible is it is homaging those classic stories like here's the superman origin here's all the characters but it just doesn't it's like it's so breezy it's like yeah you get it there's the justice league yeah you get it he's working here here's his girl here's his girlfriend it's like you get it we don't have to sit time here we don't have to sugarcoat anything you know what you're in store for it works fine we don't have to pretend we can just move forward and keep the story going with a big momentum i think that's kind of impressive where it's just here you go. You get it. As the story progresses, I think it kind of falls into its category of its own, where it starts being this gore fest. And and look, the, the gore represents the story, so I don't hate the gore for that. I just don't need to see that. Like, personally, I don't really care for the, here's the Superman analog and the, the war of these characters beating each other senseless and murder. It doesn't add anything for me. It doesn't make the story better. But I, if we're talking about love letters to comic books, you can't do it without talking about Invincible. Because there's clearly, clearly a respect for the genre and the formula within this book. It's it's baked in. It is steeped in this mythology. You have to talk about it because it's there to be admired, to be viewed. It's a part of it. If I ignored it, it'd be wrong. So I'm not going to ignore it. Invincible is a love letter to comic books. It comes its own thing later, but that's kind of cool. And the most recent thing I have on my list that I want to talk about, look, clearly I've talked a lot about superhero comic books because that's my bread and butter. Look, this is the, the audience that watches this loves superhero comic books, and I love them too. But comic books can come in all different shapes and sizes. Like, I think I could put, like, maybe modern Conans or homages to modern Conan and, like, things with Star Trek or homages to those classic science fiction novels and all those classics illustrated stuff. I could do all that, but another big market that is almost untouched in modern literature that like clearly goes to the like the homages to or like clearly connects to the original stuff is those classic nurse comics or those classic romance comics. We don't touch on those a lot anymore. We do stories about romance and things. They don't feel the same as those classic comics where it's like this dramatized version of a woman trying to find her scorned lover or something. Except until now, because of Substack and because Tom King says I can create original content, we have Love Everlasting. 
I really like this book. And I know it's not for everybody. Look, it's only a couple issues out right now. This is Tom King saying, I'm going to get a top tier artist to work with me. And we're going to craft a classic romance comic for the modern era. And he did. They did. Like this book, and I I apologize because I can't remember the artist's name who works on this. This book is just beautiful to look at. It feels like classic romance comics from the era before with that just that little bit of a mix of a modern sensibility of an overarching narrative. I think that's great. And romance comics are such a big part of the comic book history because you had to tell those stories. People want to read those stories, like those dramatized versions. Comic books and soap operas are so intrinsically connected, you have to let them do that. And I I love classic romance books. I don't talk about them on this channel because how do I? Where, Where do I put that into my schedule, you know? But literally, my desktop for every computer I ever owned is a is a pinup from a classic romance novel or comic book because I think those stories can be fun and they tell some really interesting stories and love everlasting. I have anything on this list next to Astro City. I think you should check this out on the Substack because it's interesting. It's doing things you're not expecting because it's not trying to be anything less than what it is. It's just you get it. We're telling a story. We're crafting a narrative. You know what we're up to. We don't have to do anything else. Just tell our story and you'll be a part of the narrative with it. I respect it for that. I think that's really cool. Love Everlasting. Pretty cool. I love a good romance novel. I love a good romance comic. So check that out. It's worth it. And kind of on that same page, I want to talk about another Mark Wade thing. A little while ago, there was this huge relaunch that happened from Archie Comics. And with that, Mark Waiters kind of brought on to relaunch this genre of comics. And that's like the teen drama, teen bopper books. It's so good. So, so again, something I don't talk about a lot is Archie Comics. Because I, I, read, I read enough of them. And I, I, there are certain ones where I have read it. Maybe I'll do a video talking about them at some point. But I've read a lot of like the married life with Archie, the other stuff with Archie, like the afterlife with Archie and clearly all that stuff. But when Mark Wade came on the scene, it's just like, we're going to relaunch Archie with like modern art styles, creative ideas for you to explore. And it's just a teen drama with the classic ideas of Archie being presented. You have a match made in heaven. You have brilliant ideas being explored, fun concepts to play with. I think that's fantastic. I think that's really good. I love that first volume. I- I've read some of the other ones. I'm behind on it. And then you get the spin-offs with like Betty and Veronica getting their own miniseries. You get Jughead getting his own miniseries. You get all these other characters just randomly appearing and doing these fun stuff set in this more dramatized version of Archie. And look, they still publish your regular digests of all the characters where they're introducing a bunch of new people. But this is just different. This is like, not co- Archie's are comic books. We're going to talk about comic books. So here you go. Here's teen drama of characters you know that's pseudo Riverdale, but not as fucked up as Riverdale. It's brilliant. I love it. I absolutely adore it. Please check those out. I love them so much. And then they do like the horror stuff with Afterlife with Archie and Vampironica and Jughead the Hunger. And they're just brilliant books. Because it's like, that's an homage in itself too. It's horror comics. It's taking the concept of like the young teen taking like the seduction of the innocent and turning it into something else. I think that's an incredibly cool idea that I just love to play with. 
It's fun. I, I adore it so much. And that's something I hope a lot of people can respect too. I don't know how many people still read the, the Archie's Digest and stuff. It has to be enough because they keep publishing them. But they're fun books. And I really recommend just checking it out. And they're just doing... Archie Rick currently is doing like this huge thing where they're introducing a bunch of new characters. That's kind of fun. Maybe we'll talk about that more. They just had their free comic day special called The Best Archie Comic Ever. If you want to get into Archie, that might be a good place to start. So check that out. But Mark Wade's Archie run, really good. A couple more things to talk about. This isn't really much of just like a love letter, like a comic book version. It's sort of like characters that are a love letter. Squadron Supreme is clearly just the people at Marvel. Like, we love DC. Let's put the Justice League in here. I love that. I think that's very cool. Makes for some very fun, just playful energy between the two companies that I live to see. I love to see that stuff. And I kind of want to end things just talking about like the old crossovers of, from Busick where it's like Avengers and JLA. Because you can't do that unless you love what you're doing. You can't talk about both companies at the same time unless you feel like you want to. There's no cynicism behind that. It's it, Of course, it's like corporate, but it's like, why don't we just do it for fun? And they did, and it was kind of cool. I respect that. They're good books. They're very interesting. Some of them are better than others, clearly, but it's like, that's a fun concept that should be explored more, just enjoying that kind of energy, just enjoying that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of very fun. Makes for some good content and... Avengers JLA, like the original book, is pretty interesting. Subsequent stuff, yeah, it's kind of messy, but what isn't? Everything's kind of hit or miss now with these things, but it's kind of fun. It makes for makes for some great stuff. And all like the versus books where the characters fight each other, it is kind of cynical, but I'm like, you, you're doing stuff with these characters. Just the idea of having a Marvel character and a DC character in the same book, there's nothing cynical about that. It's just admiration for one another, and that's kind of the important thing that they should do more of do more of that please it's good to know and look like i said there are hundreds of other love letters to comic books these are just the ones that popped into my head when i was making my notes for this i think these are all really fun stories they all make for some great content they all they all just make you smile for a minute and that's what i like to see it's not just about superheroes it's about teen dramas and horror and romance and all these things and that's what comic books are about it's like you could homage the jack kirby and steve ditko era of the 60s and 70s or the image era of the 90s or just like the early 2000s it doesn't matter you're homaging comic books and that's the important part is you love these things you're talking about them you're getting excited about these narratives and that's the cool thing to play with i love that i think it's very fun and I love comic books, so please check out some comic books. They're worthy of your time, and you are worthy of their time. Everyone's worthy of each other's time. Comic books, celebrate them, please and thank you. So that's going to do it for this episode of The Geek Wave. Now, thank you guys so much for watching this video. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you are listening to this on the podcast feed, please give us a rating over there. It helps out a lot. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.